VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Sotty, um, how's the, sh- the shaving going? Well, um, I'm feeling pretty clean cut and looking sharp today, as you probably noticed. I did, and it looks like you've had a very, very close shave with, uh, with Harry's. Well, Harry's has transformed my life. Yeah, um, me too. Getting lots of admirers, um, not just in the rugby world, actually. Yeah. Uh, did you get some in... Well, I haven't seen you since West Indies. It, did, lots of admirers in West Indies with your close-shaven face? Well, it was, it was amazing because I was, I was surrounded wherever I went. And was, and was, that, was that the shave or, or your Harry Kane um, swimmers? No, it was the, it was the the Harry shave and the Harry Kane swimmers. It was a budgie, budgie smugglers. It was a kind of um, a kind of combination of the two. It's a lovely thought, that isn't it? It is. It yeah. is. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the Ruck, our weekly podcast brought to you by the Times and Sunday Times. Uh, thousands of issues to um, discuss today. Uh, we're a little bit delayed. There were holdups everywhere. Unsold copies of the Telegraph were uh, all over the place, but. Um, Tremendous panel today. We start off with Al Al Dimmick from Rugby World, Al Hotfoot from Murrayfield. Uh, Big Al, how did you feel right at the very end there when Hoggy was going for the line for victory uh, for Scotland over New Zealand? I'm not sure about hot foot, more hot thighs. Spilled coffee everywhere, jumping up to try and see what was going on. I genuinely thought he was through. In fact, Steve Hansen said after the game, the, the All Blacks head coach, that he the only thing going through his head was, please someone tackle him. Go down. It just happened that Bowden Barrett managed to scuttle across and make the tackle inside pass forward, but it was a special moment. And in fact, Hansen described it as you needed a special player to catch a special player. So close, but still not there. So close, so far, so far away. Uh, we've also got Adam, the Dogman, halfway with us today. Um, Hath is uh, is known as the king of Fleet Street uh, freelances. You name the paper, the Mirror, <coughs> the the Dimes, the Sunday Times. The Tirana Argus, the Moroccan Weekly, the um, what are the any, anyone else I missed out there? Um, South China Morning Post, Bulgarian Annuals, I do. Bulgarian Annuals, yeah. and the uh, Albania. You still? I'm still doing them. Yeah. Okay, you name it. Hathers is a freelance for it. Um, Hathers, um, uh, Mora, and Ninja. Um, no <laughs> wins at all in the last week on the Greyhound track. When do you? bought these greyhounds are you actually sure they were greyhounds <laughs> they're running like um well i wish they'd run as quick as a jack russell at the moment um yeah well the fourth and the second last week we've got actually got our syndicate christmas dinner in a couple of weeks and we're a bit worried about getting to the main course because i think we run out of money well don't have a roll with the soup that yeah, was exactly. that's of the money i have to say that uh, william hill are currently operating purely on my losses with those two dogs so i need some action oh in slot rugby correspondent of the, of the of the times um all very exciting especially in the last 15 minutes of the game uh, to be an english fan 
last week. Owen, you felt on and off the field as a match and an occasion and a performance well up on the Argentine game. It couldn't possibly go on the other way. Yes, I thought it was improvement in almost every facet. It was a, a, an occasion. Uh, there was a, a proper performance from England. There was energy. They played. Um, they really played rugby. They really tried to play rugby despite the conditions. Uh, and and they strung um, quite a lot of uh, decent phases together. Uh, great to see um, uh, the effect that Owen Farrell has. And I, th- I just think the bottom line is Eddie was sort of suckering us in the first week. They they were out of condition for reasons that he'd planned. They hadn't they hadn't tapered down for the Argentina game. He, he had them perfectly prepared for uh, for the Australia game, and suddenly we saw something. He didn't want to tell us that before. Um, he, and he took a fair amount of stick from uh, the likes of yourself and myself and um, came out this week and I think sort of rescued the situation pretty well. Okay, um, I think possibly when the history of the last weekend was written, um, it may feature Scotland uh, possibly above everything because Al, um, they actually had quite a, a weak side in some positions. They don't do second and third choice, but they did genuinely run it really close. It wasn't a flash in the pan. They could possibly have done it. I mean, for a start, how significant was it and where were the strengths of the team? I think it was significant purely for the fact that when Scotland went a couple points, a couple tries down, 12 points away from New Zealand, under their own posts, a Scotland team of the past would have crumbled there and would have just let New Zealand come in. But actually, they were calm about the whole thing. John Barkley led incredibly well from the front all day. They went straight back up. They got a couple tries of their own. And it was genuinely in it. You're right. It wasn't the full-strength Scotland team that you'd expect. There was a couple guys... When you look at that front row, for example, and you see Daryl Marfo, who played the game of his life against New Zealand, but we had people going off. There was a lot of injuries within the game. So, for example, Luke Hamilton of Leicester Tigers came on for his debut because Hamish Watson went off with a bad back. And then he went off with a with a dicky ankle um, about 25 minutes into his international debut. And we had hookers going to the back row. And yet, somehow, this Scotland team clung on. And I think... A large part of it has to do with that sense of occasion, but there also just didn't seem to be a sense of fear, of wonderment about what the All Blacks were going to do. And actually, at the end of it all, Steve Hansen was asked by the Kiwi Press about um, where this shows where the rest of World Rugby is, and he said, well, people have been moaning about us being dominant, now you're going to have to have a think about that over a cup of tea, because it doesn't look like New Zealand are the dominant force they were anymore. Is it now, though, um, you know... that? The- it was what Scotland now need, even in the bad performances of victory. I mean, suddenly this Australia game surely is now looming massively. Absolutely. Um, I think in the heat of it all, on the way out of Murrayfield um, on Saturday night, uh, I tweeted out that whether that whether or not that was the one that got away, it's time to stop patronising Scotland. It's time to stop giving them the pats on the head. However, that can all be undone if they back that up with a loss against Australia. Now, remember, they've, they beat Australia in the summer. This is a team that they've played twice in the last 12 months. They know them very well. However, when in the summer, they went away and beat Australia. Fantastic result. And then they backed up the week after by losing to Fiji. So, in many ways, Gregor Townsend's team need, need to back up, use what they learnt against New Zealand. Forget about the injuries. Forget about the player, people coming in and out of the squad. You need to back it up and get a win. And if they do, everyone will start setting up and taking, uh, taking notice because it's all fine and good from a loss. People saying, oh, well, they're contenders now for the Six Nations. They've got to back it up. Owen, oh, uh, you, you've um, examined the whole game now. What, what were your impressions uh, looking at it as a sort of um, dispassionate observer? Not, not that Al's not, uh, not a dispassionate observer, what, but 
I just <coughs> later. I just found it really interesting, is, uh, as Al says, that there's this question of, of, of are other countries, nations catching up with New Zealand. Uh, and you watch that game, you think, hang on a sec, not a single one of these Scots was in that Lions team, which was the you know the the, the best team from the from the from the home nations. Albeit that we will never know what sort of an impression Stuart Hogg might have made, and it's lovely to think what what he could have done. And we had these debates most of last year about whether he should or shouldn't have been in, but. Um, but not one of them was was in that Lions team, uh, apart from Stuart Hogg, who went only Tommy Seymour was actually on the tour at all from the start. Greg Laidlaw's obviously injured at the moment, uh, and yet and yet and and the injuries, and yet and yet they get so close. I mean, that's what I think is extraordinary. And and so again, it goes a bit back um, back to next week in Australia. Is that just was that just a magnificent spirited one off? Uprising. Well, I, I don't think it really was because I, I don't think spirit and, and, and occasion can get you so far. There, there's something really, there's something really impressive there, and the fact that they are not the top tier of the ho- of the of the home nations um, really tells you how well they played, but also tells you a bit about the gap. And as uh, as Steve Hansen said, maybe it's not so big anymore. Alice say they should just sneak by Aust- uh, by Australia, which would be a magnificent victory, and then. Um, would, could there be anything bigger than Scott the Calcutta Cup this year at Murrayfield? Because that that could really—I know we're getting slightly two steps ahead of ourselves, but my goodness, that what a huge game that could be! Well, I mean, it will always be a fantastic occasion. The amount of people that have coming out of the woodwork asking me for tickets for that already—I don't mm. have them, so please stop calling me. Um, but I think the thing is, is that the, what is so good about that result against or lack of results, sorry, against New Zealand is the fact that there's still room for improvement. So, for example, now the. The All Blacks were the most ill-disciplined I've seen them for a long time. They had two yellow cards for killing ball from their own, uh, in front of their own posts, but they could have had two more. There was a slap down from Kieran Reid that should have been, in my opinion, a yellow card. That never came. Waisaki Naholo tackled Stuart Hogg mm. in the air, and that, in my opinion, should have been a yellow card as well. Extenuating circumstances, I have no idea what that means. You can sneeze before making a tackle. You're still taking someone out in the air. So it should have been a yellow card. But that aside, they still managed to stop Scotland. You know, when Scotland Scotland were very impressive until they got five or ten metres from the line. And they got one try from Johnny Gray, who used his go-go gadget arms to get over the line. But they still didn't quite get there. So that's where Scotland need to make the improvement. That's where, because England won't be as easy to break down uh, as New Zealand were surprisingly in parts of that game, you'd imagine. But that's where it's exciting. And you know what, it's the fans... There was a fantastic sense of occasion, and there's a real buzz. And, you know, for all the fallow years we've had of not having that, that's the best thing. So, you know, whatever happens, that Calcutta Cup clash, all eyes in World Rugby will be on it. Quite quite right, that was a really good line about you not having any tickets, because he's got a big wadge of them in his pocket, everybody. (laughs) That's a great line about you not having any. But anyway, roll up, because Big Al's got them. Uh, Adam... um, Sorry, I interrupted you there. Yeah, you did. I was a bit upset about that. Okay. I, just, I just wanted to say to, to Al, do, do you think there's a, a, an element of, of, of people finding out the Kiwis a little bit? I mean, the Scots employed as far as they could the, the same uh, really fast pressure defence that the, the Lions espoused from beginning, um, which they got from Ireland, which worked last autumn. Yeah, there was a, there was a bit of that. Also, it looks like people haven't quite settled into... When you look at this New Zealand team and you look at players that have gone away... Now you'd say that Ben Smith, who's on a sabbatical at the moment, who many people would say is the best fullback in the world. Some would argue that he might struggle to get back in, but there's still not quite 
that partnership there, everyone doesn't seem to be quite on the same page as they were. So, for example, Sonny Bill Williams was, at times, incredible. Mm. There was a try where he took the ball an offload out the back. Damien McKenzie ran a fantastic tight line and fed Bowden Barrett to run through. It was just one of these yeah, exceptional tries. It was gorgeous. But there doesn't seem to be that clicking all the time for this New Zealand team at the moment. And Ryan Crotty didn't seem at sorts, so Sonny Bill Williams had to play out of his skin, although he tried too many offloads. Um, there was the sense that you take at that back row, if you take Kieran Reid out of that back row, you suddenly wonder where all the balance is. Because Via Fafita is a fantastic runner going forward, but he seems a bit at sea when he's got to retreat. They haven't quite got that balance yet, and without Ritalik, there didn't seem to be that same spark in, in their pack either. So if ever there was a chance, and throwing it forward to look at Wales, you know, they can certainly unsettle them. And the atmosphere at the Millennium Stadium will be fantastic, as it was at Murrayfield. You know, you've got to say, this is a fantastic time. It'll be entertaining, it'll be fun. But I suppose we'll get on to Wales in a minute, is what they can offer. I, I guess the old boys. It's a big game for the Aussies as well, that's Saturday. Adam, um, just just, ch- just uh, change, uh, what, uh, 400 miles or whatever. Twickenham, um, pick the bones out of that. Uh, Glorious ending. Once or twice we looked at ourselves and wondering whether this is going slightly uh, south for England, but came through in the end. Lots of controversy. Yeah, it was a, it was a tough day for Australia, really, because everything that um, could have gone the wrong way did go the wrong way for them. Um, although I think in hindsight, those three three refereeing decisions were probably all correct. The one for Daly and the two Aussie disallowed tries. Um, so they had a rough day at the office, but it was encouraging the way that England's uh, Eddie's so-called finishers got the job done in the last 10 minutes and as Slotty said you know they weren't, obviously weren't beasted during the week in training so they could probably look forward to that this week is it um, uh, the times this mo- in this morning's paper is very gives a forensic look at the decisions and there were grounds for them to say that they were correct in all cases Michael Checker Adam um, I know how much you hate it when um, um, coaches are uh, outspoken afterwards <laughs> but um, he ran up and down the stairs um, like the grand old Duke of York really um was fuming, uh, rushing up to officials, etc. He may be in trouble. What did, what did you make of that? Do you understand his frustration, or was it a blight on the good name of rugby? Well, it's nice. To, I mean, we had it with Eddie the week before, didn't we, when he flipped his lid in the Argentina game. Um, it's quite nice to see somebody... I mean, in Checker, you've got a bloke who doesn't actually need the job because he's got so much money anyway. It's nice to see somebody caring. He got a bit of stick from the um, Twickenham faithful as well. He, but by the time he got to us, unfortunately... He'd calmed down a little bit, although he did storm out of a TV interview, apparently. Do you not think we're, we're getting our knickers in a bit of a twist about of, oh, the, the coach got angry and, and he was seen to swear on TV and that? I mean, it's one, people love watching that sort of stuff. Uh, two, maybe some kids might be upset by it, but I'm not really quite sure that they would be. No. But it's, it's, it's just, it was part of the occasion. He was passionate as hell and furious, and we got to see I, it. I completely agree, and I tell you yeah. what, if I hear one more television commentator apologising for the bad language, when it's the television company who stuck the microphone up the nose of the bloke who's done the bad <laughs> language, I said, look, if it's a rugby match, if you don't like bad language, don't come and stick your head down the loo. But the thing as well is that the decisions, we, we can see that the decisions were all right, but even my Nan would have been turning the air blue if all those decisions had gone against her. You know, you can't blame anyone on the planet for being a li- slightly miffed at those decisions yeah, going against yeah. them, whether they were right or wrong. I think we like emotion, don't we? Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. absolutely. And I tell you what, we like it in players and everything, and it, it's all got so namby-pamby nanny state now, so we're glad we all, we all agree about that. I'll just say one thing about the um, uh, the offside of, of uh, Hooper. 
Um, so many laws now we don't bother with. We don't bother with not st- with straightening the line out or the scrum. Uh, we certainly don't bother with um, ruck entry when you're supposed to bind round someone. There are so many laws we don't bother with. And one of them is following up in front of the kicker. At every box kick the, uh, over a scrum, the midfielder always offside. Now, actually, what happened was Hooper technically was offside. And he, he, he slowed down, but that doesn't make, make him onside. But on any other part of the field, you'll, you'll see people in front of the kicker just carrying on running, slowing down slightly, and then they accelerate again. It just happened. The referee couldn't get it because he suddenly had to apply one law which no one has employed for bloody months and years. Okay, Steve, on that, do you think it's because he didn't make enough of an effort to retreat, whereas uh, with the, the try that was chalked off because Moore had, had run a blocking line, the argument from uh, from officials that I've spoken to is that it was Robshaw wasn't offside because he was making a conscious effort to retreat and when he made the tackle it was behind where the ruck had initially been anyway. So is mm. it for you, is, is that because Hooper had not made made enough of an effort to retreat and then go back again. Well, technically the law is you must stop. You must stop. And, 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 and he didn't do that. So I think, it's, I think it's that. I see the point you're making exactly. But, you know, it's one of those things that led to a try, so they suddenly had to apply, apply it. And um, he, he was slightly unlucky. Corabetti, actually, uh, if, he, if he'd kept a cool head, he was yards clear. He could have picked up and slid over as... Um, Elliot Daly did afterwards. You, on a wet day, you can slide, scoop the ball with you, and off you go. So, so there we are. Um, Adam, just go back to England. Who, who mm. was good? And uh, Owen, we'll say go back to you for where are the question marks still. But who was good for <coughs> you? Uh, well, the, the two locks were the standout performers: um, Courtney Laws and uh, Joe Launchbury. And the Toji was good when he came on after about twenty minutes when Underhill failed his HIA. And obviously, the I think Eddie called him his. Sanchez or something, whoever he is. Hmm. Um, Danny Kerr um, added plenty of spark when he came on, and so Eddie's now 5 0 up on the Aussies. And 5 um, 0, Eddie uh, Adam, you're a great <laughs> cricket man. Eddie gave us this great anecdote that the last time that uh, there was a 5 0 England Aussies was the 1971 Ashes under Ray Illingworth. Have you got any memories of that 5 0? Well, he, he really ought to brush up on his cricket history because that was a 2 0 in a <laughs> seven match series, obviously with the great heroics of John Snow and Bob Willis and all the rest of them. So um, I might buy him a wisdom for uh, Christmas. Uh, Owen, wh- where, where are there still problems? Where are they not quite uh, um, oiled in the England side? I, th- I think they still need uh, uh, more tempo and pace in uh, in the pack when they when they have the ball and they're in the loose. So you sort of ask questions ab- about the the front row. Really, the uh, the locks were outstanding. Uh, Mako Vunapola injects everything you could ever want from a player in the sort of game that Eddie wants but you go back to that question about Dylan he, Dylan does other things but he doesn't in, inject pace and tempo which George um, uh, Jamie George does and, and obviously that's just never been the game that Dan Cole plays so th- those are areas for improvement that I would say from Saturday uh, they have to find a, a better way of um, bringing this phenomenal back three and you know we, it's now official isn't it that Johnny May is faster than Usain Bolt mm-hmm. um, so we've got to find out how to use that though um, Corabetti is, uh, was faster than Johnny May on Saturday closed him down for one of those so so it's a, been a shameful weekend for Usain Bolt <laughs> <laughs> I'll uh, we'll just go back to you for a last word on the great Scottish performance Tom English of the BBC great friend of everyone in, in, in this room uh, describes Stuart Hogg as the greatest player in Scotland rugby history. Any comment? Well, that's I mean that's a big call from from Tom. I mean, Tom was he exempting Big, big Al at the time? 
was was there a, a sort of a I think he said best fullback. No, no, he did say the greatest. <laughs> no, no asterisks. Player. There was no qualification from Tom whatsoever. I mean, certainly Tom has covered a lot of great players in the, in the books that he's written, going back through the history of good, great Test sides. So, um, I suppose you've got to nod to, to Tom for that. I mean, certainly he's at this stage in time. You know what? He's worth hyperbole anyway. You know, he's playing so well. Fans deserve something to be excited about. So, you know what? Screw it. Why not? Get excited about him because he he. If you let him cut loose against Australia, he can be a game winner. He was all very very almost a game winner against the All Blacks. Didn't quite get there, but he has the ability to smash a game open. And you know what? If you're a fan who has a very short memory of Test rugby, and that was the first ever Scotland Test you saw on Saturday, you're already madly in love with Test rugby, and you're already madly in love with Stuart Hogg. Well, I like this. Who was uh, uh, well, the best Scottish player ever? I, well, I, I just just could throw some in for Tom, and uh, when I see him, I'll um, I'll, I'll just tentatively bring them up. But uh, Andy, uh, John Rutherford for me is one of the oh, greatest players I've, I've ever seen in the Six Nations. John Rutherford, a magnificent player. Andy Irvin, don't forget, uh, took place uh, took part in some great Lions teams and was on the wing for the uh, for the um, seventy four Lions. But what a magnificent player! Much adored as 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 is Stuart Hogg. Ian McLaughlin uh, took apart uh, a Springbok pack almost on his own. Uh, did so also with a New Zealand pack in '71. Gordon Brown played in two uh, winning Test series, including one where he was dominant in South Africa. So uh, there's some good company there. You've not uh, there isn't Gary Armstrong. No, no uh, I've not mentioned uh, Gary Armstrong. Another good one. There is one thing I'll add in there as well as a, as a as growing up. Uh, adoring front rowers um, I was very fortunate to be uh, at the same club that Ian Milne uh, the Bear had played for and I can tell you now that as formidable as he was as a player one night in the clubhouse when he offered to scrummage me after a few beers I definitely uh, had to change my pants as well because yeah. he's still a formidable man Were you still in the clubhouse when you finished or were you outside? What uh, Scottish college players? <coughs> Stuart Hogg are you in love with him? Well I was a massive fan of um, Andy Irvin when I was a kid um, obviously he went on Three lines tools, um, a fantastic player. Okay. And I, if, I mean, if I'm sure Andy will have something to say about uh, Hogg being rated the best ever Scottish player. Should should we um, be offering our our um, massive army of listeners to to give their own opinion on this? Yeah, as long as they agree with us, we don't want any dissent. No, okay. sorry, no, we should. So we we've should got do. a short list of Stuart Hogg, yeah, Rutherford, Alan Dimmock, yeah, <laughs> Ian McLaughlin, Gary Armstrong, Billy Connolly, Gordon Brown. And uh, I'll tell you what, one guy who uh, my uh, predecessors as a uh, top journalist on Fleet Street used to talk about was Ron Glasgow. They said mm. he was one of the hardest men who ever, ever played the game. So I like that. So uh, that, that's a good shortlist. I'm sure we've missed some, but um, fair play. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm sorry to keep on going about the Times, um, but it is superior to all other daily, daily papers. This morning, um, somebody called Barnes, uh, Stuart Barnes, um, wrote, uh, pulled himself up to his full height of five foot two, and um, wrote an article about referees and players being in their faces, rushing up and appealing. I think Owen Farrell almost um, dict- seemed to dictate to the referee on Saturday, and it was rather unsightly, and it happens all the time, and it's emulated down the levels. And it's interesting that um, at the start of this uh, autumn international season, World Rugby, through their refereeing officials, asked the referees to come down hard on dissent, rushing up, appealing, etc., and to use the 10-yard back rule, which I think quells so much of this. So far, there's no evidence whatsoever that the referees have, have done what they were told to do. Adam, unsightly for you? Um, rushing up and appealing? Well, watching that game on the England game on Saturday, I'm... I'm pretty sure that um, Farrell did England a favour, really. Am I right in saying that he was captain on the t- at the time? Yes. Because yeah. Hartley was off, so he, if anybody's entitled to talk to the referee, it's him. So um, I think England probably owe him one for bringing that to the ref's attention. I, I just think it was over the top, though. Al, uh, we, we don't want to be too squeamish about this, but isn't the all the appealing, isn't that not, not really what it's all about? Um... <laughs> It, it depends. If you're bleating at the ref constantly, I mean, you hear it every so often. If you've got the ref link in, you can hear all the time saying, right, that's enough of that. I only want to hear from the captain. It's only about certain things. However, it's it's human nature as well. I mean, I can't remember ever playing a game of rugby without mourning at the ref for something. It's just something you do. But that's that's when the ref should have a t- uh, should bring in the marching teams back at the 10-meter line. It's very rare to see it. At test level, I mean, I can't remember the last time I saw a ref go right. That's too much dissent. Back you go, but it's a hell of a weapon, isn't it? Because you're not going to make the mistake again. I don't understand why they don't use it more often. I mean, <laughs> it, it, if you use it a couple of times, then it will just click in. I, I wrote down one thing. This was this was Michael Hooper to the ref after he'd given the uh, Elliot Daly try on Saturday. He said to the ref, "That's a bad call, and you know it." I mean, is that that's. That's dissent for that, me. That is, that is dissent. That's got to be 10 metres. I mean, the thing is, as you say, they've only got to employ, ap- apply the laws as they stand and use the measures as they stand, and it's fine. It would, it would stop, and we'd, we'd be able to call ourselves a sport apart again because there's no dissent. At the moment, it looks like... Remember that time when Yapstam and all those Manchester United players ran up as if they were going to kill the referee? Mm. Roy Keane and those guys. It's, it's, getting, it's getting like that, and it doesn't need to be. I mean, I, it, I, what I would say is... A few incidents we've seen. I wouldn't say I, I. I don't agree that it's epidemic. I don't agree that it's it's killing the game. But absolutely, the ref should have it, and be prepared to use it in their arsenal to march teams back. The other thing for me though is that you can catch ref some certain referees, and it was very apparent at the weekend that are a little indecisive. So. Farrell happened to catch the referee at the right time, where he wasn't quite sure. The replays, and there were a lot of replays of that mm-hmm. incident, 
no one was re- it seems like none of the officials were really willing to stick their neck out and make a decisive call and Farrell helped that along it happened in the Scotland game as well when Stuart Hogg was taken out in the air the referee watched the replay and he said I'm thinking yellow card and the TMO talked him down because of extenuating circumstances they called it to to just a penalty kick and that's one of those situations in fact those are two of those situations where if the referee backs himself and makes a decisive call hold your hands up fair play there you go. Okay, I have to disagree with you there. Al, I think it's not epidemic. I think it's pandemic throughout the game. I mean, but there we there we go. Listen, uh, guys, we should go on to uh, an injustice now. Um, Saturday's fixture, England-Samoa, uh, between one team that gets paid hundreds of thousands of pounds and uh, for whom you, you can pay to watch uh, at a rate of about 110 quid a ticket against a team that is funded by crowdfunding. And the crowdfunding total... By last Friday, it reached only £5,000. And the £75,000, which the RFU donated to Samoan Rugby, went to the Samoan Union from where, traditionally, it never re-emerges. It did not go to the players uh, who were hacking around on their own and lost in Bucharest to Romania. We'll come to Romania in a minute, but, uh, Owen, this is a a gross injustice and surely this cannot go on. Correct. There's two things here. One is the fact that the Samoan Rugby Union is run by, uh, um, run with ineptitude. That's probably the nicest way of putting it. As you say, no, the, no one knows where the money goes. And it's not as if there's not a hell of a lot of money that's gone in. But World Rugby, they, they, they get a lot of kicking for this. And, and in some respect, they deserve it. But they've funded that uh, that union um, uh, to an extremely high degree, and and they've just declared themselves bankrupt. So uh, where's the money gone? Uh, there's a, that's that's one big thing. They, they need some accountability on that. But then the other thing is this far the far far broader um, question of uh, when Samoans come to Twickenham. Twickenham makes eight million, ten million. Some people say, uh, and England um, pocket the whole lot. Uh, if England did go to Samoa, which I don't, have they they've been there, no. But, but but under under the rearranged calendar in the future, uh, the tier one nations will be obliged to to do so. That it'll be nothing like an eight million fund because the the, the stadium's smaller, the uh, the ticket prices won't be a hundred quid; they'll be probably about a fiver, and uh, it, there's just no compa- comparability there at all. So we have have to find a way of making that balance out a bit. No, no question. Um, Al, do you agree with Owen? And uh, what would your solution be? I do, and. <laughs> It's a hard one. You heard quite a few descending voices when the All Blacks decided to play a fiction. It was a, it was a nice gesture, but actually it ended up costing the Samoans more money than they made. They lost two hundred grand on the back. Mm. Of that. You know, yeah. so mm. that's one of those things where you could say, right, where are there thriving uh, communities near, relatively nearby, where at least they can try and find some happy middle ground for the interim. So if if these changes came in, you'd say, right, let's find some place where there's a stronghold of community. Let's perhaps play a game in Auckland. For example, let's play Samoa in Auckland, try and make them some money, but make it a regular thing, or at least have Tier 1 Nation playing there for the foreseeable future for a, for a number of time. Then let's start f- speaking to, to business leaders to find minds in the islands to try and see what solution we can help, the, the World Rugby can help them uh, arrange, uh, arrange out there so that they can start building. it Because this isn't something that's going to be fixed overnight. This isn't something that you're going to say, well, let's put a new new person in the, in the throne at Samoan Rugby Union and everything will be fixed and we'll make sure that they run the money, run everything with the money properly. People have got to help each other to try and find a solution. And the answer is there's no magic wand on this one. It's going to take a bit of time. 
I think the other side of this as well is for all the bleating about who got the World Cup when, the big responsibility for the World Cup, the next two World Cups, is to make as much money as possible to spread around the world game. Not just make sure that the the big unions keep hold of all their monies, to make sure that these big events are as fair as possible and make as much money as possible so that you can spread it around the world. The thing is, as well, people would always blame World Rugby with the Aunt Sally, which is fair enough, but actually it's the individual unions, the big unions, that, that the guys who have stopped holding out. Adam, um, when England plays Samoa, will you have a sympathy for the Samoan team? Um, <laughs> not really. I mean, the, the one surprising thing is that figure you've just come out with, they've only raised five grand on that crowdfunding page, which reflects pretty poorly on the rugby community in general. I think maybe fans should get their hands in their pockets and get that up to the 150 grand they want. But um, once the game starts on Saturday, I don't think I'll have any sympathy with Samoa. I'm sure there'll be a few um, big hits flying around. Right. Can I, can I just so, say, on, on this, you said just, what's the solution? Yeah. One half-decent solution, which is Ben Ryan's, can't claim it for my own, is that they put a Pacific Island team into Super Rugby. Because that will, A, incentivise players to stay at home because they don't actually want to travel. They only travel because that's how they make money. B, it will put money into Pacific Island Rugby, a proper income rather than a charitable handout. Yeah. So I think that would be a very solid start. Oh, this way is too sensible. The, the, the message from Hathaway is then, go back home, you South Seas <laughs> waste wasters. So we got that. Al, you were talking about to Romania earlier on. And... Um, we are big fans of Georgia uh, and talking about promotion, relegation, etc. But Romania have actually been the champions lately. Yeah, that's the thing. Is So, for those that don't know, Samoa lost uh, at the weekend to, to Romania. 17-13, the Romanians won that one. Um, a lot of people, for all the bluster that there was about um, Georgia playing Wales and how Georgia, it's time Georgia were in the running for the Six Nations as well. You have to actually remember that Romania defeated Georgia uh, recently, it was a very tight game, but they managed to come out as winning the, the Rugby European Cup, uh, which means that if you look at what I suppose some would refer to as Six Nations B competition, Romania are the reigning champions of that. So you have to respect what they and Georgia are doing. They're they're building fantastically well. However, and I suppose if if you go back to actually the the, the discussion we're having about the Pacific Islands and the governance of them, and the talent that's being lost from them, it's notable that in that Romanian team that defeated Samoa. Three of the backline are, are Tonga born for that Romania team and Jack Umaga on the bench is uh, New Zealand born um, and now I'm not saying there's pros and cons of this because there is. you have to accept that there's professional rugby in Romania and you've got to accept as well that there are very few places where someone that's not quite of the highest elite standards um, can go and play so if you've got a car about a living somewhere actually you can make a decent living in Romania so I can't blame these guys for playing them but it's just an, a noteworthy aside just one just one more aside uh, for um, um, uh, Alan is now uh, dissed uh, Georgia almost as severely as uh, Hathaway dissed Samoa <laughs> but uh, last week um, um, 29 Tongans signed for Jap- Japanese rugby and departed Tonga 29 of their best young players uh, on long contracts in Japan, Dan Leo, uh, the great champion of uh, Samoan rugby, um, uh, revealed that, and he expects to play against some of them uh, in the World Cup in Japan and afterwards. So that's 29 of the youngest Tongans, um, and that is what we're facing. That that's is the, astonishing. That's the dominance of the. Um, Someone should write that in a newspaper. Uh, okay, it was in a, one of the newspapers yesterday called the Sunday. Um, so I've forgotten the second word. Okay, joking anyway. aside, that, that is that is 
extraordinary. And it, it happens all the time. In, in you know, it's twenty nine in one fell swoop. Mm, but no one until the unions get a conscience and get a life. The big unions, nothing's going to happen. Okay, lads, uh, let's, let's just uh, leave on a lighter note and say, before we go predicting, what are we looking forward to personally this weekend? Adam? Well, well I'm looking forward to the rugby. Um, England, Samoa, probably be... Um, you want to see Samoa smashed, really, don't you? Well, I don't want to see him humiliated, but I mean, they'll, right. probably, they'll probably get well beaten. Right. Um, Ask for your money back from the crowdfunding, okay? You should never have given that. <laughs> Owen? Well... I'm I'm not so much looking for looking forward to the Wales New Zealand. Uh, we'll obviously, watch that with with fascination. But I just don't think it's going to go well f- well for the Welsh. They have too many injuries in critical positions, and the All Blacks will really want to sign off on a massive high. So I am really looking forward to seeing if Scotland can maintain that improvement and take down a uh, a big Southern Hemisphere giant again. Uh, Alan, um, j- 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 obviously a, a huge and very emotive emotional game on the weekend. Afghanistan against Iraq, first time those countries have ever have ever met. I think it's in Kabul. Who do you fancy for that? I mean, the Iraqis have been in great form recently, so you've mm. got to decide with them. Uh, well, <laughs> you actually, there there are always interesting little little bits uh, when you come to the end of, of November tours. And actually, South Africa managed to turn around uh, at the weekend and beat France by a point. Some would say that that feature is the nadir of Test Rugby at the moment because there are two sides massively on the slide, horrible slumps, and a one-point win for them is probably about right, you know, as, as good as they can get at the moment. They finish up, they wrap up their tour against Italy. Um, so actually, and Italy lost to Argentina at the weekend as well. So it's sort of buzzing out on a low for them. I hope that one can actually be quite entertaining and that both teams can go up. And I think Wales, New Zealand will be one of the best atmospheres we'll see in a long time. And then we've got Scotland, Australia. With their recent history, that should be a cracker. Okay, I'll get the last word. What I'm really, really looking forward to is the end of the autumn international season so we can get back to club rugby. There's no anthems, there's no ridiculous loud music, no pomposity, (laughs) no desperately boring pre-international week. The world doesn't end. I watched um, two games yesterday. One was Reading Colts versus Wickham Colts, which I loved. And then I saw Exeter Chiefs against Harlequins, which was fantastic, and all that rugby rugby is about. So Steve's been on the happy pills it, again. It's three. It's do you need a shave, Steve? I do. Well, I'm <laughs> just is that off, why you're so miserable? I'm just off to ring uh, um, our mutual friend. I did pay for those blades, by the way. It wasn't a freebie. Harry, uh, um, thank you, Big Al, uh, Owen, and uh, Dogman. Um, fantastic weekend coming up. I was only joking about not liking internationals. And uh, we'll be back here next week to pick the bones out of those. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone.